when I was a kid, I wanted to be a psychiatrist when I grew up. Now, I'm a screenwriter. <laughs> Hi, I'm Ben Hanani. Welcome to How Do You Do, a podcast featuring creative guests sharing the nuances of their process. Just a quick reminder to subscribe, rate, and review the show on Apple Podcasts is the most helpful thing you can do for the podcast. Hi, it's Ben. Before we get into this week's episode, I wanted to give you a brief heads up that this episode, featuring Chinese-American writer Vivian Lee, was recorded before the Atlanta shooting that left eight dead, six of whom were women, at Asian businesses earlier this week. I hope that recent events inspire you to look into ways that you can step up as an ally in supporting our brothers and sisters in the Asian American community, and I hope that listening to the talented Vivian Lee on this episode compels you to check out the brilliant films and TV shows that Asian American creators have been a part of making. In Vivian's case, you can check out her work in Netflix on the series Lost in Space and the Emmy award-winning The Dark Crystal Age of Resistance. Without further ado, I hope you enjoy the episode. My guest today is Vivian Lee. Vivian is a TV writer who's written on Lost in Space, The Dark Crystal Age of Resistance, and the upcoming Cowboy Bebop on Netflix. Originally from Loveland, Colorado, Vivian spent most of her childhood either working in her parents' Chinese restaurant or being stuck at home watching a bunch of TV shows as a latchkey kid with her little brother. Fascinated by the human psyche at an early age, Vivian was determined to become a psychiatrist. However, fate dealt her a cruel hand during freshman year in college when she got an F in quantum physics, after which she immediately course-corrected her life and became a film major. Vivian currently lives in Los Angeles with her screenwriter husband and their three-year-old son. Without further ado, welcome to the pod, Vivian. Yay, thank you for having me. This is very exciting. Of course. And belated uh, Emmy congratulations on The Dark Crystal. That was cool to see, right? Yeah, it's really cool. I mean, I don't... Yes, I was a co-producer on that, but you know, as you know, those 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 titles are really you're just one of the writers in the room. So, the fact that everyone's congratulating me on the Emmy, and I in my head, I'm like, I I don't win nothing. It was it was all my bosses, you know. But the fact that they sent me that um, certificate was very was very very it was a surprise, and it was very humbling, and I was very excited. But yeah. So it's weird when people say thank you. I'm like, I didn't do yeah. anything. I was just in the room. <laughs> you, you were part of a show that won an Emmy. You were part of yeah. the creative force behind it. So I think that's yeah. very laudable. I want to completely rewind, though, going back to when you were starting out on the way to becoming a pro writer, you had the experience of being a script coordinator, which to briefly explain is the person who's responsible for distributing the scripts to whoever needs to get it, whether that's the cast, wardrobe, whoever, and making sure it reflects how the showrunner you know, wants it to come off. So you don't, you don't want to have any mistakes. You want to be fast with the job. Anyway, I think in those support staff positions, just from my own experience, you get to see a side of TV making and you get to see showrunners at work in a way that maybe some other pro writers don't even get to see on that show. And I'm curious, was there anything as you were coming up as a script coordinator that you think helped you become a better writer and kind of hit the ground running more so when you finally were in the writer's room as a pro writer? Um. It's funny. I do really am very grateful that I went through the PA slash script coordinating route. Uh, one of the things that I um, was invaluable for me was that because I was the uh, script coordinator, as you know, you get 
all the revisions of the scripts, right? So it's like, you know, you, you, you read the same document over and over again with little changes, big changes, whatever. And um, there was a couple of times when I was a, I was a ghost whisperer, I was a script coordinator and ghost whisperer. That's when I became a script coordinator. I was, um, for whatever reason, I was allowed to listen to the notes calls from the studio and network. And um, I think a lot of the times writers, you know, we all, we all have egos and we always think that, you know, producers don't know what they're talking about, executives, they don't know what they're talking about, it's all about the money, it's whatever. But when you hear some of their notes, you go, oh, I, from their perspective of, we like what you're doing, but we either financially can't do it, or it doesn't, you know, whatever audience they're trying to um, uh, 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 appeal to, it, it just won't, it won't fit in their brand. So when you listen to them, you go, oh, I understand why. And then you also understand when a showrunner is able to be very um, cordial and politically, you know, very, you know, political mind me like, okay, there's some notes that I, I understand and some notes I think are dumb, but I'm not going to say it. So it was really great to hear both sides. Also knowing that no one is against the other one. Everyone's trying yeah. to make a, a good product. Um, just everyone's coming from different angles. So I think as that was, that was very interesting. And again, because I kept reading the scripts and I'm like, oh, I understand. Now I see why they made. Now I I know I know why that executive made that change because it does make more sense, you know, in the grand scheme of things. And then you can see, oh, I understand why that showrunner pushed back because that doesn't make sense. So it was just really, it was a um, it was a great learning experience in that sense, you know. And so I think as a quote unquote professional writer now, when I hear notes, I'm able to be like, okay, I know this note. They're not just giving notes for notes' sake. They are coming from a place of, of you know wanting to make the best product so that was when you get great. notes now do you have a checklist or a process i'm just curious like when you when you leave a meeting with a showrunner for example and you get their notes how do you go about addressing them like if i were to shadow you in your office what would it look like when you're doing <laughs> notes revisions uh, i would get the notes written down as you know some like either a writer's assistant or someone would usually take the notes i do the easy ones first where like hey can you change the glove to uh, blue to red Fantastic. You know, I do all the, the it's, it literally is a check checklist. I yeah. do all the easy ones first. Um, and then the bigger notes, you know, it would, it would be me sitting down with a showrunner or my boss or whoever the writer is of that episode. And we kind of talk about it um, and then, and then execute it. But it literally is me. It is what you said. It's almost like a shopping list of things that I go, go down and it's like the, the harder the ones, the ones I leave behind. But then by that time, I think you're just so, um, in the script already that you kind of um, are able to make those changes quickly because you did all that easy stuff first. Um, but yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. One thing I noticed as I was looking back at episodes you've written, you have a couple times, at least from what I saw, have written, I think like the third episode of a new show. And usually that means that the showrunner you already wrote the pilot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so so that, that actually means like you were probably the first or second person who had to go to script, um, which is a tough position to be in because you don't have the luxury of seeing how the showrunner has previously given notes. The voice of the show on a new series is many times still a fluid process at that early stage. So when you're getting sent off to, you know, episode three, um, how does that how do you go about trying to make sure that you perform to the showrunner's satisfaction when a lot of things in the show might still be fluid you know the show in the case of a netflix series probably hasn't been filmed yet because the scripts are usually written first and then it's filmed 
Um, right. So you haven't even seen footage of what this thing might even look like. How do you go about when you're addressing notes on a brand new series and you're like one of the first people at bat? What's awesome, that's so that's so fascinating that you, it's so funny that you said that because it's something that I had noticed and then I realized how much I actually enjoy being the third of one up. Simply because, um, especially, you know, in a TV format, a serialized format, you know, I've been, I, I've kind of been taught through Lost in Space, which I've actually kind of um, now seen through other places where a series, let's say it's 10 episode or 12 episode, um, are done in acts. So, you know, pilot through episode three would be like the first act of a movie of a series and then the second act and then the third act. And because with, because episode three usually is the one that things change, right? Uh, pilots, episode two, you know, you set things up in three, it, we just spin it to some a different direction, whether it's emotionally or plot-wise or whatever. And I find that very exciting because that's when like we can really delve into the characters and be like something that we thought who they were in pilot ones and two. Now they're faced with that challenge in three. Um, and I I really enjoy that because of the fact that we don't know who these characters are. Episode three is the episode that usually goes oh. Now I see them who they are. Oh, I understand the. Oh, I understand that devious plot. Or oh, I know understand her pain or his his wound that he's trying to do. So it, I it actually doesn't. I, I did an episode. I think later on episode five or six, which is great episode two. But I was just like I was still. I felt like I was just still like setting things up, and I got kind of like anxious. I'm like this. Yes, it's part of the whole story, but I was just like I didn't get to get the cool nitty gritty stuff for like oh the dun 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 episode. <laughs> Um, so as, when it comes to note-wise, um, maybe it's because of just, again, the, the nature of episode three where things change. The notes aren't really that bad because I think most of the executives on the other side, student networks, they're waiting for three, two. They're waiting for that excitement, that change. And so, um, I don't really, maybe, maybe it's more like, hey, can you just step it out a bit? We're not quite sure how that character from episode two changed episode three you know so it's a lot and obviously it will change you know as you know we get to episode eight and nine we're like oh we need to lay some stuff in episode three so it it, it, it always changes but the notes are really never the notes are never really bad yeah because we already got the audience anticipation so I kinda, <laughs> does that make does that make sense yeah totally and i'm curious yeah. when you're actually in the act of writing do you is, are there any rituals you have? Like, do you listen to a certain kind of playlist? Like, I know people who, for example, if they're writing a action scene, might listen to, like, crazy, hyped-up music. Is that something... Are there any things like that that you do that you found have helped you? Uh, I always have a candle. I, I, I need to have a nice, musky scent that makes it sound like... That smells like a library, you know, very... Um, Music-wise, I get very um, stir-crazy when I write. You know, I think, you know, we, we, we always just pop on to, you know, I write a sentence and then I find myself searching online for some random stupid thing or whatever, or I, do, I can't sit still. So what I found for me, I need to listen to uh, like house music or dance music, um, electronic music that have no words, but it's just a beat that just goes, you know, boom, boom, boom. And it helped me because the bottom half of my body is moving, I'm tapping, I'm dancing, it feels I'm tricking my body thinking, oh, I'm doing stuff, but my mind is concentrated on the thing. So when you when you listen to my music, it's it's just all it's just all obnoxious <laughs> electronic dance music. <laughs> but again, it just again it's just a way for me to put out that energy that I am just 
I, I, I get, like I said, I, I, it, it both calms me down, but it also like lets my split personality be like, okay, she's listening to dance music, it's, it's fun or whatever, but my mind's like, great, she, that part of her mind's distracted, let's focus on writing. So that's what I do. Candles and music, dance music. Reminds me, what you're saying about music reminds me of marathon runners, where so, I know some marathon runners who will listen to music at the BPM they want their heart to be as they're oh, running. Oh, that's interesting. That's interesting. <laughs> yeah. That's super, which, which is so funny because on Spotify, they have like workout electronic. Yeah. Like that's the stuff I listen to. <laughs> but that's true. It's that heart. That's interesting because that heartbeat in a way kind of focus you. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, you're, like you said, like as, a, as a, someone who's working out, you want to try to rise your heart to that level because that's when you know your body's working, you're focused, all that stuff. So that's fascinating. I have something in common with uh, marathon runners. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Not the running part, but the music. <laughs> and when, you, when you're working on a script or an outline, when you're doing your first draft, do you have note cards all over the place? Do you have post-it notes? Like what, what have you found works for you when you're starting that first draft? Uh, you mean just based on, an assi- like on, a, on a show or my own yeah. stuff? Um, oh, interesting. I'd be curious if it's diff- if it's different. I'd love to know how it's different for either one. I was thinking just specifically on a in a writer's room. Well, on a you know on a show, um, you know, after we get you know everything's beaten out on the board together collectively, and then I get the you know, I well what has worked for me is to take those cards, you know, put them in my room, and then write the outline, and then using again everything's almost like a shopping list for me. So then I I have the outline written out, and then when I write the script, it literally is me just boxing each scene and then checking them out checking them out and i jump around i cannot write sequentially for the life of me i do the easy scenes first and then i go back and do the hard ones and i just keep going back and forth i'm a really slow writer when it comes to my own stuff like my own original pilot blue sky you know i open that word document and i just barf out whatever i think oh this is a cool scene oh you know i I put a little like oh i need to look for this research thing and put a little link then oh it's just, I just blurt it out just to get it out of my head. And then from there on, I kind of, again, mine what I just wrote, check mark things, circle, highlight, cross things out, put them on cards and kind of go from there. Again, I do everything I do is highlight, check. I do highlight means this is the scene that's coming up next. Check mark, I did it. And then cross out means I'm happy with it. So I, I literally just kind of had that process. Oh, so there's a difference between I did it and I'm happy with it. There's a yep. there's something that has yep. to be bridged. Check mark is I did it. So yeah. let's say, let's say so, so we'll start off with a piece of you know my outline coming up next. This yellow one, like I'll do like <laughs> a yellow coming up next. You know yeah. that's it. I write that scene. I check mark it off with you know the highlighter. Done with that outline. I go back and reread it. If I don't like it, ugh, just keep going. But if it's that's it, it's done. I literally put a big X on it. So again, I just I think mentally, it just makes me feel like I'm doing something. But yeah, Very that's what that's my process. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up blue skying, which in layman's terms is just when you kind of word vomit, whatever, anything, mm-hmm. anything is acceptable. No bad ideas in a writer's room. That's usually like the first two weeks of the room. I'm yeah. curious if you have any preparation or process that you go through during the blue sky phase of a writer's room. Uh, you know, usually, you know, the, the, the creator slash showrunner will be like, oh, I read these books or I mean, totally I like the show that sort of resembles you do all your homework right you write you you read those books you watch those shows um and you just start searching for things you know so that you come in especially in that new room you know you want to 
show that you care and that show you're interested and, you know, do your homework, you come with like, you know, your, your little notebook of ideas and like, oh, I read this book or I, I, I remember this from my own history or whatever. So you just kind of go from there and hopefully you'll be able to mine some stuff. And, you know, if someone says something like, oh, I know I have a friend who went through that story. I mean, like, oh, that's really awesome. You know, what's great is we can plus it. Let's, what if we add, we, oh, we've tried this story that Vivian said, and then your story, and then put it together. Oh, that's great. That's a great scene, you know, and you just kind of work from there. That's the part of being in a room that I, I, I'm always really excited about when people tell a story and then it just kind of like opens the room to be able to like, add on to it you know and that's when the magic happens i love that, rooms i miss rooms i'm missing <laughs> rooms right now i love rooms so much i think that was one of the many superpowers i was fortunate to see of yours firsthand when we were working on cowboy bebop together was i felt like in moments where the room might have been stuck you always were able to come in with a story that you were like, it's not this, guys. It might not be this, but this, like, <laughs> this, is, this is where this is where my head's going right now. And maybe you smarter minds, you know, whatever. And you 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 give that preamble, you know, out of respect to your colleagues. But you come in with an idea that is in the area that everybody was trying to work toward, even if it's not a hundred percent the exact idea that the right. room ultimately lands on. I always thought that was one of your superpowers: is coming in and getting getting the room unstuck and moving again. Is there anything you found that helps you with that? Or like, I know a lot of young writers might get in their head about, is this worth opening my mouth to speak for? Is there like, how do you, how do you think you've been able to get good at that skill of just like, I, I you know what, it looks like we're stuck right now. Here's something that might get us going again. It's so funny. It's when you say that my pitching in the room is, is my weakest I actually don't think I am a good room person. <laughs> I'm a joy to work with, but I feel like my talent really is more on the page. And, you know, I've been in a lot of rooms where the writers or people can just pitch things and think of things and solves. I am not that person. I tend to sit back and watch a lot of the times, you know, and, and wait to see where the natural progression goes. Um, I tend to have a notebook in front of me and I have to write out my thoughts because as you will hear from this podcast, I get a little bit rambly. I talk a little fast. I get a little meandery. So I know that in the room, whatever I say has to be clear. Um, and that takes a while for me to see. So I re so as people start pitching and I can hear them, you know, hitting a wall, I literally write a same sentence over and over again, trying to be like, what? I know that there's, I know there's a solution. I, I can't, I can't find the words, so I'm just gonna keep writing. So usually by the time I do say something, it's been written down 10 times in a way that I go, okay, I think I'm okay. I'm, 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 I can present it now without sounding like a complete <laughs> idiot. And you know, and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't, but you know, I'm, I'm at a level where my job is to just keep throwing things out there, you know? Um, and if it, even if it's ridiculous, we start talking, we start laughing, it becomes a relief, a sense of um, release. For everyone yeah. to be like hey guys it's just tv let's everyone calm down let's talk about something stupid for a second great and then from there it just access a different part of people's brains i think once you kind of relieve that stress of like oh my god we have to get this right no we don't not right now let's just have fun um so maybe that is my superpower is i don't really um <laughs> I would, I have no problem putting myself out there and being silly and seeing like, well, that's a dumb idea because in my head, I'm like, it might be a dumb idea, but you guys are talking, you know, <laughs> you know what I mean? So I have yeah. no problem being like the, 
being i don't the sacrificial my ego i don't care like as long as we had a good store you guys can all make fun of my my ideas i don't care at the end of the day we just turn into a script that's great that's all i need so yeah and that's yeah i have no ego when it comes to that stuff i have two last questions before we go into rapid fire yeah. and um so I think diversity in film gets blown up a lot. What I'm more interested in is, for example, I'm Iranian, and if I were in a room where we were talking about Middle Eastern characters, and I find myself in a dicey situation of, I think these writers might be falling into a trope or whatever, um, how do I speak up? And I think there are complicated dynamics for, for younger writers versus maybe people more established. Did you feel like um, if there were any moments that you felt like were veering off course, you were able to, on a show where the lead actor the lead character was of asian descent did you feel like if it ever veered off course you could politely point out like hey guys hey this you know i identify with this character and i i think we're we're going off course i think we're better served if we go this way have you found yourself in that situation because i've heard young writers you know feel the burden of trying to represent an entire community and i'm i'd be right. curious um any tips for success you have there <laughs> Um, I've been very lucky that all the rooms I've been in, um, my bosses, my peers have all been um, very conscientious of things and they will always ask me or if I do bring up something, again, you know me, I'm a goofball, so I'll bring it up in a funny way that hopefully doesn't um, offend anyone. Um, that being said, I feel like the best way to approach these things <clears throat> is when you when you know a story is going down a way or a characterization that's going down a certain path that makes you kind of cringe going on it's not do not i think it's not about attacking the writer right it's not it's about serving the story so if you can framework it like that where you go hey this asian american character i know you guys think she'd be doing x y and z because that's the trip the good thing and that's hysterical and that's all you guys know because i mean that's the only thing yeah. with reflection but you guys i think that there's a different way you can tell the same story, but in a different way. Like you talk about story and how to serve a story. So you just have to make sure when you tell them it, you don't necessarily be like, it's racist what you're saying, though it is. But it's less about racist and that, but it doesn't serve the story. If you're going to have her act a certain way and the end game is her being this way, you're, you're making her very two dimensional. It doesn't feel real. I mean, even if you say yeah. it's not real, it doesn't feel real. It's not, honest it doesn't feel authentic i think every writer is striving for authenticity and honesty you know but that being said i know there are writers you know i have friends who've been in rooms and it's been really really tough you know like they have to be the champ like everything they have to be the champion and be like this is gross yeah. and i can't you know i can only pick my battles um i think uh we know javi right javier yeah. grillo marwash he's great and he's a great mentor and um I think one of the things he had said was that, you know, especially when you're in a mentor position or an older one, you need to kind of keep your ear out. But also as a younger writer, maybe not, you don't necessarily, it is not your burden to like fight everyone in the room, right? That's hard. No one wants you to do that. But if there is a point where like I need to speak up, if you don't feel comfortable doing it in the room at that point, find an ally somewhere, you know, hey, everyone go out to lunch or whatever, find an ally find someone who does have that power in that voice, you know, and people go, Hey, you know, this is, feels kind of uncomfortable for me. And these are the reasons why, again, not because it's because it's racist, because I just don't think it, 
fills the story. It's not honest. And hopefully that person who is someone who has a stronger voice, who doesn't give a fuck, who is a mentor can then go to the room. I think this is something that Javi actually did once and be like, hey guys, we think that this is a different way of, we can tell the story the same way, in a different way. You know, that person can say, well, it's not about this emotion. It's about the story. It's about the story. It's about the story. And I think that yeah. was very um, astute of what Javi did. And again, it's a story that I'm kind of butchering up, but I feel like that's what happened. And again, if that's something like you don't feel comfortable with it, I don't know, it's hard. It really is hard because you, you have a young writer who wants to, you don't want to lose your job. And if the show runs your dick, <sighs> I think I think what you're saying is find very an powerful, ally. Though. You have to yeah. find an ally. You have yeah. to find an ally somehow, somewhere. There is not everyone on that show can be a dick. There's got to be someone else that is an ally. <laughs> Law of so averages. Lot, somebody has to be decent. Somebody has to be a nice person on that show. So just find an ally who has a stronger voice, who at least is more established, or can talk you through it, and yeah. then you know, then you can yeah. bring it to the table. Makes sense. On a on a happier note, how how do you feel like you've had success? when you've been interviewing for rooms and meeting with showrunners, um, I think a lot of young writers would be interested in that as well. You mean what that, that meeting is like and how you... Yeah, how you prepare for it, what that meeting has been like for you, how you think you've managed success out of those meetings? Well, here's the thing. If you are a writer and you get a showrunner meeting, they already like your work, Yeah. right? So that's a huge, like, comp they've already seen something in you. That's a huge compliment. That's a huge, like burden that burden yeah. but like they like your writing you're in yeah. they like your writing now at this point it's do they like you can they spend eight to ten hours in the room with you which then becomes a little <laughs> i think at this point you know preparation obviously know know what you're um know what the show's about uh do a little research of the creators if you know um you know uh, uh, uh if it's based on a book, read the book. If it's a if it's a reboot of something, at least familiarize with a couple of the episodes. The most important thing is you are invited there because there is something about you, a point of view that the creator is like, oh, I like her point of view or his point of view that I don't necessarily see. Um, and I've told this story a gazillion times, but it is a story that sort of changed my life. When I first got, I'm not a genre fantasy person at all like it is not something I watch it is something that I, it's not something I gravitate towards I always thought I was more the breaking bad type of girl right so then when I first got interviewed for Lost in Space my my agent is like oh they read your spec and they would really like to see you for Lost in Space and I was just like no I was like I that sounds like a setup for a failure I don't know anything about Lost in Space the show I'm not sci-fi like it just it just I'm like I don't know anything about GAC and I'm like, it doesn't feel like a right fit. And my agent at the time said to me, it is a show about family. Your spec is about family. They are, they are going to hire people who know about GAC, who know about sci-fi, who know about world building, things that you don't know. That's fine. Yeah. They saw your writing because like, oh, she writes about family and this is a family show. We need that voice in there. So you don't need to be everything at once. You just need to Whatever your voice is on that, pilot, on that pilot is what they need. So when you go in an interview, that's what you talk about. You talk about your family. They want to hear what it means to be, you know, what your story is, you know. And um, that was such a eye-opening experience. And so when I went in there, I'm like, oh, I don't need to talk about like, oh, so Saturn has X amount of rings. Like, I didn't need to do any of that stuff. I just talked about, oh, this is why I like family. This is what, you know. So that's something I feel like young writers need to understand that you don't need to be everything in that room. 
You know, if it's a baseball show and you're like, I don't know anything about baseball. They picked you in there because you wrote something like, I wrote something about, you know, a high school boy going through some sort of uh, pain. That's, it has nothing to do with baseball. But there's something in that script that they liked, the heart or your voice or whatever it is that they're like, we like that. We like that because this baseball show, it's not just about baseball. It is about, um, you know, a coming of age story. It's, it's about growing up. It's about heartache and stuff. And that's what your script's about. So just talk about, just talk about that. That does help relieve the pressure, I think, a lot of the times. And one thing I, I want to add that I've heard a lot of writers say that I could immediately tell from your bio you're very good at is just telling the story of yourself too and who you are. That that's something that it seems like of writers I know who've been staffed, that seems to be a consistent thing. And like when you sent me this bio, I was like, oh, I need to go revise my own bio. This, <laughs> this is so good. And this like you get such a clear sense of this person and their wit and who you know who they are. And I think you know, telling the story of who you are is, is, uh, is very paramount too. And I'm, I mean, I'm inspired by your bio after this, I'm going to go revise my own. <laughs> well, it's so, it's so funny because, um, so I've been, um, developing, right. So developing is like all these pitches and you have to write like a pilot, you know, you have to pitch the pilot. This is the plot, whatever. And we were, you know, my husband and I are developing something and the executives were like, I don't know, like, who cares about the plot? Who cares about the characters? And it, it got thrown out a couple times, or we had to redo it a couple times. And we got really, really kind of um, disheartened, 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 I can't speak, <laughs> um, bummed out. <laughs> and then our, um, you know, our, our executive producer, our producing partner, you know, we just had a kind of a, a nice, every, all three of us had this like nice heart to heart, be like, why are we doing this? Like, why are we, why are we killing ourselves over this project? It has to be more than just a paycheck. It has, I mean, there's other jobs, there's other easier jobs to, to do. It has to be more than just, we got to keep writing. We got to keep, it's like, who are you? Like, who, what makes you undeniably perfect for this show? What makes your story undeniably you? Like, that's all we care about. We're all storytellers. I don't, I'm going to be in a room with somebody. I want to know who they are. I want to know what their pain is. I want to know what, why they're here, you know? And so I think we just, then we, we kind of re, we revised our pitch where we just start talking about ourselves, who we were as a kids, our dreams. And because of that, that's when the executives on like the studio side are like, oh my God, we love this because they fell in love with us because it was just two people, just two people, two writers just talking about themselves. That's all it is, you know? I think storytelling is all about human connection. Sometimes the best way to connect is just to be real and be true to yourself. And there's also that flip side of people going to be like, Ooh, delicious. Who are you? You know, like it's just, <laughs> yeah. it's a whole, it's a whole mess of thing. But I think it really is about honesty and about who you are. That is how you're going to get a job. 50% is your script, but the other 50% is when you meet a showrunner, be honest of who you are, you know, it's very confessional that way. We've gotten a great masterclass from Vivian Lee. This has been so informative and insightful. Oh um, I feel like I won like a, you know how they have those like charity auctions of like 30 minute consultation with professional <laughs> writer Vivian Lee. I feel like I just won one of them. Oh, Benny, that at least puts a lot of pressure on me. <laughs> My um, goodness gracious. On that happy note, we'll go into rapid fire questions. Firstly, what's an app that you can't live without? This is so stupid and such a cheeseball thing. Like the the Apple, the photograph app is a, like, how many times, I mean, now that I'm a mom, just scrolling through your kid's picture after a long day or you can't write anything and you're like, oh, why am I doing this? Oh, because of this kid. 
you know, or just like, it's, it's really, I look through pictures all the time. That out of every app I could, I don't need this one. If I don't have pictures on my phone, it kind of, like I said, it kind of grounds me, kind of reminds me of where I've been, you know, people in my life, those moments. So yeah, I guess so. that's so stupid. It's the photograph, the, the picture app on the phone. <laughs> I love that. That's like the opposite of doom scrolling on Instagram. It's like happy scrolling through your I can't, photos. I can't do, I, that's the thing is doom scrolling. I don't, it's not good. It's yeah. not, I, I don't, I don't, I don't operate that way. There are people who operate that way. I can't operate that way. Yeah. Who would you like to play you in a movie about your life? I don't know. Everyone's so much prettier than me. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I should know that there's a, there's a, there's an actor on glow and I forgive me. I don't know her name, an Asian actor on glow. She was also in the Carrie diaries. I should figure it out. Maybe you can put a little side note. Let, let's take a look. But, yeah. um, I have to look. She probably is the closest because she's very spunky. Um, and then if and then and then Gemma Chan because she's so pretty. She's so pretty. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I don't know. I guess her. I, said, I, I forgive me because I don't remember her. Act. I don't remember her name, and I should have looked her up. But she's an is actor it, on Glow. Is it Ellen Wong? Yes, Ellen Wong. Okay. She's great. Like go. I get her. Like her energy. I'm like, oh yeah, that's that's we share the same sort of energy and kind of spunkiness and squirreliness that I, that I respond to. <laughs> if you could wake up tomorrow having gained one skill or ability, what would it be? Maybe some sort of musical, like being able to just sit down and play music. You know, there are people who can just do read music. I don't have that ability. That'd be nice to be able to just pick up, just play at the piano. That'd be nice. Yes. Playing the piano. <laughs> Playing the piano. There we go. <laughs> Where's a place you haven't been to yet that you hope to visit? Egypt. Just oh, cool. I wanna, yeah, because I want to see the pyramids because I don't think they exist. <laughs> <laughs> no, because you see, it's like you see them pictures as a kid and you're like, this is crazy. I would love, love to see the Sphinx and the pyramids. I think it's such a, such an interesting place. Just, yeah, that, that is one of the places I want to see before. I What's a song you like to jam to right now? Again, there's no songs. It's just elect electronic music on Spotify. Uh, that's all it is. It's just mindless. Boom, 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 boom. That's all it is. That's what I listen to. All right. Fair enough. And lastly, where can people find your work and keep up with you on social media? Uh, my Twitter is theviv86. That's it. I don't got anything else. I don't got TikTok. <laughs> you built that up so much. <laughs> I know. That's it. That's all I have is Twitter, <laughs> Facebook, I guess. Um, oh, gosh, darn it. What is happening? Um, and la and people, if you want to check out the podcast, you can do that on Instagram at HDYDpod. Vivian, thank you so much. It was so good to catch up with you and ask you about your process in a very organic way that might have been weird in a writer's room. But over <laughs> a podcast, it's totally acceptable. It's totally acceptable. <laughs> it was very nice to talk to you again, Ben. I uh, wish nothing but the best for you. And you're very talented. Also, I hope one day when I have my podcast, I can interview you and about your writing process. Oh, my God. I'd be um, so honored. I know. It'd be cool. I want to hear what's going on with you. Is, is the podcast over? Should I stop talking? Oh, no, you're good. That's good. No, you're good. We can, we can <laughs> put this in. Um, thank you again.